Welcome to the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. This week, I have a very special guest, renowned First Amendment attorney, Floyd Abrams. Mr. Abrams has spoken out on the most controversial free speech issues of our time. Most recently, Mr. Abrams argued and won Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission in front of the Supreme Court. Mr. Abrams has written a new book, The Soul of the First Amendment, celebrating America's freedom of speech, expression, and the press. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. Why did you write this book now? Well, I thought it was, uh, I started the book uh, over, over a year ago. I thought it was time to sort of have a look at the uh, extraordinary differences between uh, the level of uh, free speech, free press, uh, protections uh, afforded uh, in this country uh, to, to that in other democratic countries. I mean, this book is not, is not a comparison of the U.S. and, and Russia or Venezuela. Uh, it's uh, a comparison in good part of the U.S. from Canada, England, and Western European countries. Uh, countries that uh, also are dedicated to free speech, uh, but uh, less uh, urgently than we, less consistently than we, and uh, that uh, allow other very genuine interests to overcome uh, what we consider free speech, free press, First Amendment uh, notions in a way that would not be uh, permitted here. So I, I thought that that would be something uh, that that fit almost any time, but particularly, you know, at a time in which uh, speech in this country has become so uh, combative, uh, so polarized, that uh, we at least ought to step back and see uh, the degree to which the, the level of freedom we have here is, is so different and so much greater than that uh, elsewhere. Yeah, I really enjoyed the comparative perspective in the book. Uh, one of the specific examples is when you talk about the libel laws in England, and you mention a quote that uh, someone said it was the illogical presumption that defamatory statements are false. I was wondering yeah. if America adopted that standard, what type of chilling effect would occur? Oh, well, I mean, if, if we went uh, down that road... Uh, <laughs> Moving towards the English system, uh, it would uh, uh, encourage uh, libel suits very, very significantly. As you know, the president has, uh, while he was running, and now uh, just a few weeks ago, said that uh, you know he'd like to loosen the libel laws. Uh, that would be one way of uh, doing it. Uh, 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 moving to the English presumption that when you say something really critical or defamatory of someone, it's false, and that the party voicing it uh, has to be prepared to prove it. Uh, and of course, trying to, to do that in the U.S. would run into the First Amendment and would run into the cases starting with the New York Times versus Sullivan in 19... 64, which made it very difficult indeed, and purposely so, for uh, public officials, public te 
and the like to prevail in libel suits. But would it have a chilling effect? Sure, uh, as it has in England. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's the interesting thing. Uh, I just had a class that we were discussing fake news. And really, when you're comparing bad journalism with fake news, it's really an intent factor. So something I was mentioning to the professor, it seems very hard to prove that. It does. It does, and it is. And it's supposed to be. I mean, it's one of the levels of added protection that that we have here that, uh, you know, when a a public official, certainly the president, but any real public official or public figure uh, is the plaintiff. Uh, they can't win a libel suit unless they prove that what, what was said about them was not only false, but either knowingly false, sort of literally knowingly false, uh, or said with uh, what the Supreme Court has said as a high degree of awareness of probable falsity. Mm-hmm. That's very hard to prove, in, in part because it's generally not true. Uh, and it, it's hard to prove, uh, I, I suppose, even when it is true, because it's always hard to prove, you know, why people do things. But uh, look, libel suits are brought, and they're sometimes won by by plaintiffs. It's just a lot harder here, and the reason it's harder uh, is the, the sort of level of our uh, dedication to principles of free expression. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite chapters is about the right to be forgotten. And I know in America, we don't have this right. But in Europe, we do. Right. So is there a yeah. way that Americans could balance this privacy protection with the First Amendment? Well, the right to be forgotten, uh, uh, which is in effect uh, in Europe, and by the way, is not in effect in Canada as well as the U.S., uh, oh. you know, is a way of, is a way of protecting what is viewed uh, throughout Europe as a privacy interest by basically saying if something happened some years ago, uh, even if it was newsworthy, uh, uh, and if it's no longer relevant, uh, relevant being, you know, obviously an ambiguous word, uh, but generally been, been read to mean, well, if it's about a politician, maybe it, it always stays relevant. But about just about anyone else, uh, if there's no uh, reason, special reason, newsworthy reason, 10 or 15 years after the event, that uh, Google can't carry it. So like in a case in Belgium not so long ago, a person involved in an automobile accident, uh, the driver of the car that killed two people a number of years ago uh, sought uh, to require uh, Google to keep his name out of their article that they that they uh, print, as it were, uh, via Google, uh, and uh, that person won in court uh, uh, in uh, in Belgium. And that would be you know, absolutely unthinkable here. It's true. It was significant. Uh, it was newsworthy. And the idea of saying uh, it, it cannot be, be uh, it cannot persist uh, uh, as, as a sort of reality on Google because it is no longer relevant uh, is one that under American constitutional law 
uh, would, would be completely off limits. And I, I think after that case, uh, Google was like inundated with requests from different people in European countries, you know, trying to get rid of that, um, those links. Yes, well, I, I mean, after the initial case, uh, 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 which is only, uh, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, and any of them, certainly in this century, uh, Google has already removed over half a million. Wow. Uh, artic- articles or references to people in articles as a result uh, of, of this uh, still new and still developing body of law. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed in the Citizens United chapter, you were talking about the oral arguments that the United States attorneys did in that case. And you mentioned that they did what was uh, what best Supreme Court advocates attempt to do when confronted with questions that expose the weakest links and arguments. Could you give an, uh, like advice or a little bit of example to law students on how they would be able to do this? Sure. Uh, let me say first that although I was one of the two lawyers that argued the case, I represented Senator McConnell as, a, as a amicus in the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and and uh, together with Ted Olson, who represented Citizens United, uh, uh, argued the case on that side. What I meant by that was that, uh, you know, uh, I, it, it doesn't justify in the Supreme Court, but one tries when, when asked a very difficult question, uh, which... Uh, if answered wrongly, it may, may doom your client to defeat. You know, one may try to uh, divert the questioner or to be less than exactly responsive uh, uh, by talking about the question sometimes without fully directly and immediately answering it. But uh, it has occurred here, uh, as occurred in Citizens United, uh, you know, the, the question gets asked again, or a member of the court gets irritated and basically says you're not answering. You know, a time has come. Uh, you just have to bite the bullet uh, and, and answer the question straight. And so when counsel uh, from the uh, Solicitor General's office was asked, in effect, uh, look, uh, uh, what you're saying seems to sound as if, uh, if some book publisher uh, in corporate form publishes a book which endorses a candidate for president within 60 days of an election that uh, it, the, the book uh, could not be published or the endorsement could not occur. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the answer in effect was yes, that's right. Oh. Now, there are other things that you know the lawyers for the other side tried to say it's never happened it doesn't happen things like that uh but but it was a very a very difficult moment you know for our opponents um in my view difficult because that goes to the heart of, of the case uh, i mean there's no avoiding it from uh, from their perspective uh so I, I guess the, the the short lesson I offer is that you know while while it's not uh, uh, wrong headed to, to to make a pass at 
I'm responding to a question, obviously, in a, the most favorable way that you can to your client, uh, and, and even even sometimes answering it around its edges. Uh, you know, a time comes when 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 the tough question is asked, and you've got to answer the tough question. Yes, uh, I, I, I remember when I was in law school, a very very famous lawyer came and talked to us and said that his answer to the, the hardest question when asked by a member of the court was, Your Honor, from the moment I was retained in this case until now, I've been asking myself how I would respond to that question. Well, that sort of answer you have to be the former Secretary of State, as, as this person was, to, yes. get, to, get away with, to get away with so personalizing it. But then he answered it, uh, and then at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. Yes. So uh, as my final question, so I recently uh, wrote something that was published in a Fordham Intellectual Property Journal on the First Amendment, looking at it from how movie studios and other artistic mediums use unauthorized trademarks in their works. So one of the troubling aspects of the issue I discovered was there was actually a feedback loop that was created by product placement. It ended up making a chilling effect on certain artists because uh, studio gatekeepers would be uh, scared. You know, they would want to always license everything, get all the trademarks cleared when there really was a First Amendment right to use the trademark in the film. Have you ever encountered any of uh, this issue in uh, your field? No, I haven't. Uh, it, it does. Uh a, a somewhat attenuated uh, issue, and uh, I don't mean it's not important. It is. Uh, it's just you know one one has to think very narrowly and carefully about just how the First Amendment comes into play here. That's one thing to say that the trademark laws have been used properly or improperly, um, but uh, and if it's true that the, that the trademark laws are being used in a way that interferes with free speech, you know, then uh, there was a First Amendment issue. But, uh, but uh, for better or worse, it's not one that I've been involved with. Yes, I mean, I totally understand that. One of the things, how I got involved with this topic was uh, the movie Concussion, that it came out that the NFL was actually, they forced Sony to basically let them have prior approval for the film, and they changed it from like a condemnation of the league film into a whistleblower film. So it's interesting; it almost like changes the work. Yeah, I remember though they didn't force them. No, they didn't force them, but it was basically like they would have sued. I mean, they, yes, exactly. They made it. They they you know they made it hard. You know they either either by threatening litigation, which they have a right to do, or not cooperating, which they have a right to, to do. Uh, and, you know, in situations like that, uh, usually, not always, usually, the best response is, is a sort of appeal to public opinion. You know, yes. You know, going public and saying you know, they really, you ought not to let them behave this way. It's, it's bad for the country, and it, it's harmful for the health of athletes and the like, um, you know, and then if you know, necessary, one can try litigation. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Abrams. Sure, it's good to talk to you. Right, bye-bye. Bye.